Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we are so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. We're continuing at least one more week on what we've called practical Christian living. And today, um, the title of the sermon is Calling Upon God. We're going to be talking about prayer, but I, I don't want this. I'm not going to teach on prayer. You know, teaching on prayer is important. Um, there's much to learn. Uh, there's models and, and systems, if you will, of ways to pray and ways that God would want us to pray and all of that. And that's good. Absolutely good. But sometimes that can cause confusion. It can cause us almost to think too much. And so this morning, I want to just, just throw out a very, very practical elementary appeal of the importance of God's people calling upon the name of the Lord, of God's people praying. In Matthew chapter 7, um, the seventh verse, Jesus says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What a powerful verse of scripture, a powerful promise from Jesus Christ, right? This is a promise that... Christ is telling us very clearly that when you ask and you seek, you knock. In other words, when you call upon the name of God, there is a promise of answered prayer. When Charlotte and I felt the call to ministry 25 years ago, I suppose, or longer, um, that was a challenge for us. It was, a, it was a difficult thing. It was an internal conflict that most people didn't see. But the reality is we both had our own plans for our lives. We had our own ideas, we had our own thoughts of what that was going to look like, what that was going to be. And here God was asking us to let go of those plans and to embrace the plans that he had for our lives. We had no formal training. Um, the reality is we didn't even know what we didn't know. That's the truth. We, we just, we're very naive. We didn't know what we were really getting into. There was going to be problems there was going to be obstacles. There's going to be spiritual opposition. There's going to be opposition from people. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be people who misunderstand your motives and your desires. But the one thing that we knew 25 plus years ago was we knew to pray. That's what we knew. I didn't know how to put together a sermon. I No one ever taught me how to put together a sermon. I didn't know... The importance of exegesis and, and all these different things. How to, you know, what's the best way to reach a crowd? What's, you know, what, how, do you, how do you conduct a service? These, these things just, we didn't know. Um, but we knew how to pray. We were taught very early in our Christian walk that you can call upon God. And if you do, God will answer your prayer. So when things got tough, we, we would pray. When we began to run out of strength and we felt like, I, I, we just can't do this. When, quite frankly for me, when I didn't want to do it. 
didn't want to do it anymore. I just thought this is not my thing. It's not who I am. It's not what I desire to do. I have other desires. But I would always come back to a place of prayer. We knew to call upon the name of the Lord. And God has been so faithful, folks. So faithful. Um, And so when I read these verses of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7, I, I don't just read them as text on a page that creates more knowledge in my head. I'm reading and going like, yeah, I get it, Jesus, amen. Yeah, that's right on. It's, you've proven to be faithful. You've proven to be true. When I have asked, you have answered. When, when I have sought you and pursued you and really desired to know your will more, more than mine, you've, you've opened a plan. You've, you've, you've made the way. You've given vision. When, when I began to seek you, sincerely seek you, and really desired to know your heart and know your will, when I desired to know the word of God and really understand it, you know, I had no formal training, folks. I didn't, I, I just, I would open the word of God and I would read it at times and it was so foreign. It might as well, been, it might as well have still been in Greek and Hebrew and, and, and didn't understand it, but I would pray and I would seek God and I'd say, God, you got to show me this. How am I going to teach? How am I going to tell someone else? And, and there was such a, there was a call in my life and there was a, a burden in my heart. And I knew that if I do this wrong, like this is, this is life and death stuff. Like this is eternity stuff. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm presenting myself as representing you, representing your word, representing truth. Like how am I going to do this? But folks, the more I would seek God and I would, I would pray and I would open my Bible and I would pray with tears. And I'd say, God, you got to show me. you got to help me see this. And, and just like Jesus said, when I would begin to seek, the Lord would begin to open. And doors would begin to open and understanding would begin to come. God has been faithful just to, to do exactly what Jesus said he would do. You see, God has chosen this method. The thing that we call prayer He has chosen it to be the conduit by which he pours out good things in our lives. You have to understand this morning, he chose this. Man didn't choose this. Churches didn't create prayer. God created prayer. It's God's plan. It's it's his method, right? And he's chosen to do it this way. And yet the reality is this morning, the hard truth is many Christians rarely pray. And the, James addresses this to the, in the church, in his letter to the church, and he says, and, and there are other reasons, but one of the things he says, it's so simplistic for everyone to understand, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. In other words, he says, you're not seeing God move because you're not praying. You have not because you ask not. And, and he, you know, God's not, move, God's not moving in the way you think he should move, You're not seeing the power of God in your life. You're not seeing things happen the way the Bible speaks. You read the Bible and the Bible and the stories of the Bible are so foreign from your everyday life. Why? James says at least one reason is because you're just simply not praying. How how much do you and I miss this morning because we simply do not take the time to consistently call upon the name of God? You see, that's always been the desire of God. It's always been his plan that he would have a people who would call upon his name. In Genesis chapter 4, you read this is right after Cain murders Abel. So it's, it's right 
at the beginning of creation. And in Genesis chapter 4, Cain has killed Abel. God has addressed this. Man, of course, has fallen in sin, and they're now beginning to see the fruit of that sin. But in the 25th chapter of Genesis chapter, or 25th verse of Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel. Now, that's important. In other words, Abel's dead now, but God is faithful. Even though Adam and Eve have sinned, he's, he's faithful to give them another seed because the, the, the seed of God's people was not going to go through Cain, folks. Cain is an evil man. Cain is a man that has rejected God, and God's not going to have it, so he's, there's going to be another seed. There's going to be another type of person, another type, a people with a different type of spirit. And, and this new spirit in verse 26 is revealed, and as for Seth, to him also a son was be born, and his name would be Enosh. And then the Bible says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, folks, this is important. This, this is before Abraham. So, so this is before the people of God are referred to as Jews. This predates even Abraham and the Jewish people who become the, the seed of God, if you will, the people of God. And, and so before even Abraham comes on the scene, God's people are distinguished by whether they call on the name of the Lord or they don't. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that simple theme is, is weaved throughout the scripture and it exists to this very day. The true thing that distinguishes the people of God is not whether they walk into the church. It's not whether or not they've been baptized by water. It's not, it's not whether you've taken catechism or you read the Bible or you have a Bible with your name imprinted on the front that does not make you a person of God. No, if you are truly born again and a follower of Christ, you will be someone who prays. You will be someone who chooses to call upon the name of the Lord because you have identified that within yourself you don't have the strength, you don't have the ability, and you know that you have an open invitation to call upon the name of God. That you have an open invitation to come to God and ask for help in your time of trouble. And Psalm 50 and verse 15, the scripture, the psalmist says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God, throughout the Bible, encourages us to pray. He never demands it. He says, oh, you have, this is what you must do. This is what you have to do. If you're going to be a Christian, you must do this. No, but he's continually, all throughout the word of God, giving us this special invitation Think of it for a moment. It's a special invitation to the people of God that you and I can come to him and call upon his name and pray. The Bible says things like cast your care upon him because he cares. In Jeremiah, it says seek him with all of your heart. And in the day you seek him with all of your heart, he gives a promise that he will be found. In Hebrews, it says come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The reality is God's people will always have needs. You have needs this morning and I have needs. And you will always have needs, folks. And, and God as a father. And he, we are, he's clearly, Christ reveals God as the father to us. And as the father, he wants to be the source of everything you need. You have to understand that. 
If you desire to please God this morning, the way you please God is by coming to him like a father, seeking him for everything you have need of. It pleases the heart of God. It's it's his heart. It's, It's his father's heart. It pleases God, but not only does it please him, it brings glory and honor to his name because a people are in the earth, a testimony that, that we, don't, we don't trust government in and of itself. We don't trust science in and of itself. We don't trust the healthcare system in and of itself. We trust God. We, we trust the God who has created us, who breathed inside of us the very lung or the very air that we breathe. He's the one that sustains us, that keeps us, that protects us. He's the one that heals our body. He's he's the one that gives us guidance and wisdom and revelation and understanding. He's there and he says openly, come and call upon my name. And so we choose to call upon his name. And in so doing, it brings honor to his name. And people around us begin to question and say, what is this? That they've heard of prayer and 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 they've heard it and it's been muddied in so many different ways. But when they truly see an individual who says, I pray, I believe God. I, I, when trouble hits, they pray. The first instinct is to call upon the name of the Lord. Folks, it's a testimony of the goodness of God. And I believe that this is why Jesus makes such a dramatic scene in Matthew chapter 21. You can turn there if you'd like. I won't read it all, but just you can turn there if you want to just check it. In Matthew chapter 21, there's this dramatic scene that we, we don't talk about a lot, but it's there. And it is Jesus going into the temple and turning over the tables of the money changers and running them out of the temple, right? You know the story, Matthew 21. This is actually, there's two times where Jesus does it two separate times. So two times we have this image of Jesus that we can't really quantify, right? Because it's totally out of the norm of how we see Jesus. Like we, we, we don't have any pictures of it that I know of. The, the predominant pictures of Christian literature is Jesus. It's him with the lamb over his shoulder. He's, he's going after, he's leaving the 90 and 9. He's going after the one little lamb and he's protecting the lamb. It's, it's images of Jesus with children sitting on his lap and the, the meek and the mild Jesus. It's, it's Jesus on the cross, humble, broken, beaten. All great images. They're all true images of Christ. We rarely ever even give any thought to Jesus walking into the temple and in John it says that he actually made a cord a whip of cords and he begins to whip people out of the temple could you imagine this morning if Jesus walked into the church and just start whipping you and just like get out of my house like just think of that for a minute it's in the bible it's Matthew 21 it's right there what a dramatic scene like what causes The son of God, the one that's going to die and shed his blood, the one that's going to willfully surrender to a beatdown in just not very long. What what would cause him to be so zealous, so, so passionate that he goes in and he just, he turns it all upside down. And the thing that he says really begins to give an answer to the question. He says, as he's doing it, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You're making it a den of thieves, but my house shall be called a house of prayer. He doesn't say it should be a house of preaching. He doesn't say it should be a house of teaching. He doesn't say it should be a house of music. He says it's going to be a house of prayer. And the thing I believe that causes such zeal 
in the heart of Christ to go to such an extreme that he's willing to whip people out of the temple and to cleanse it and to get it back in its right order is he is not willing this morning to allow anything of religion to get in the way between the people of God and God. He's getting ready to spill his blood. He's getting ready to spill his blood so that that access can be fully granted for the first time in human history. That for, the, for, for you and I, we've experienced all our lives, but for them, for the first time, the veil's getting ready to be rent. There's going to be no block. And yet when he walks in the temple in this particular moment, you, you see, the money changers in and of themselves were really actually not bad. Do, do you know what they were doing? They were, they were selling animals. So the sacrificial system is still going on, right? And so they're selling animals so that the Jews could come and come to the temple and offer their sacrifices for their sins, their animal sacrifices. And in reality, what the money changers were doing, in, and maybe it's purest form, is they're trying to make that process as easy as possible for the people. Sounds like a very good thing. But, but, but the problem is they're upcharging and they're, it's getting corrupt and they're, it's, it's just becoming a whole racket. And I'm, you know, I'm reading that this week and I'm thinking, God, we do the same thing in the church today. Like we, we want to, and listen, and typically I think it always starts out with the right motive and a good heart. Let's, like Christian leaders, we, we think of what, how can we make the experience easier? How can we make the experience more enjoyable? And, and let's, let's make it just, let's make it real simple. That way we can usher them in and then usher them out. And hopefully along the way, they put some money in the box. Modern Western Christianity. And, and, and when we're doing that two services and three services at a time, we're successful. And certainly God's happy. Well, we've got to deal with this. Because, because if our sermons and our songs are not ushering people into the presence of Jesus, I think he would come again with a whip and run some people out of the house of God once again. That's our sermons and our, and our worship and all of the things that we do are fine in and of themselves as long as they don't create a hindrance or a distraction or a roadblock from getting to God. And, and so Jesus says, look, that's, this is what it's all about. This is why you congregate. This is why you come together. This is the whole purpose. This is what it's going to be when you come together. Don't hinder my people from, from access to me. <clears throat> because I love them. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to create an easy path. Like all the, all the hard work has been done on the cross. So don't you come in and begin to make it hard in any way for the people to access me. Because I've done all the hard work. And yet so many times that's, that's what we do in church. It's what we do in religion. And, and, and we teach them, you know, you got to say it this way and you got to talk this way and you got to use this language and you got to, all these different things. And yet Jesus is just like, these are simple folks, people, folks. These are simple people. They're coming, they're, they're farmers, they're shepherds, they're coming from country, they're poor in many cases. There's just something in their heart. They want to honor God. Right? They're living under the old dead system, but there's still something inside. They just want, they just, and Jesus knows this and he sees it. I think he sees it in the eyes. I think he, now I'm, I'm surmising this isn't in the scripture, but I think he looks, I think he looks at just average people 
And, and then he looks at the religious system that, at that moment and he, and he says, you're making this so difficult. And it just causes a rage to rise, a, a, an, a genuine and holy rage. And he begins to just wipe it out. He said, no, my house shall be called a house of prayer. God help us. As, as we just continue to grow as a church and as a congregation, that I'm talking spiritually grow and, and mature, that, that it's never difficult for you to access God in this place. That, that it never feels like, boy, I, just, I felt like I was just rushed through the gates. You know, that we just, and, and now, I, listen, there's order. Order is, is responsible and right, and it's our responsibility to create order. I'm not suggesting it's just a free-for-all, but, but at the end of the day, God forbid that it becomes inaccessible to pray, inaccessible to, to worship, inaccessible to call upon the name of God. And yet, in many churches, that's the reality. I, I believe Jesus gets, is so zealous and, and, and such fire and such passion in what he does because he knows that his people can't make it without prayer. He knows that. He, he knows that he's going to make access to the Father, and it's going to be simple. It's going to be through him. And, and he knows that if the people of God are not able to pray, and if they don't learn to pray, and if they don't live a lifestyle of prayer, they're not going to be able to make it. And, folks, I believe that with everything in me. And I, I think as we go into the days ahead, I, I, don't, I don't think the days ahead in America are very bright, quite frankly. And I'm not just trying to be negative, but... There's nothing that I see that would suggest the days in America are going to be very bright. I think the days in America are going to be quite dark. How are you going to make it? I'm here to tell you the only way that you'll make it and you and I will make it is if you're a person of prayer. And you say, well, that, you're being dramatic, Pastor Doug. I'm telling you that's the reality. It's always been that way. I'm not being dramatic. Tell me of anyone else in Scripture... Any other people in scripture, in human history, that were able to overcome darkness without being people of prayer? It, it, does, it doesn't exist. There's, there's no narrative of that in the Bible whatsoever. You, you, you're not going to get by on, you know, church attendance alone. You're not going to get by on worship alone. You, you need to learn to talk to the Father. You need to learn to pour your heart out to God. You need to learn to ask him for the things you need now so that you can learn that what I'm preaching right now is not just a theory, but it's a real live concept in your life. Because if you're learning it now when things are good, then when things get hard, folks, you just you, you, there's just a trust in your heart. Like, okay, yeah, the, the economic systems have collapsed, but God provided for me before. He'll provide for me now. The things were difficult. Um, in my life before, and God showed up, and God will now. Yes, it's difficult. And, and you won't be shaken. Do you understand? You won't be shaken by what's going on in the world. And so the best way that I can prepare you, I, I, the best way that I can prepare you as a church, and it is my responsibility to do so, to be ready for whatever may come in the days ahead, is to teach you what I'm teaching you now. Really the last few weeks, but, but to teach you that you have to be people of prayer. It's vital. It's important. Jesus wants nothing hindering or distracting his people from calling upon his name. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 12 really quick. Just show you this. And then we're going to 
this morning, we're going to do something different. Our altar call is going to be a prayer meeting. Because I thought all week, what, how silly would it be for me to get up and speak about prayer and then not give us a real true time to, to genuinely call upon the name of the Lord. So we're going to do that here in just a moment. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. It's amazing. It's the early church. Very similar to my story, right? That They didn't have formal training. There were no prayer conferences yet. There were no 10 steps to prayer. There were no the J, whatever, whatever prayers there are. There were prayer circle books. There was no prayer books. They, didn't, they weren't taught. They, they were taught the simplicity of calling upon the name of God. And they instinctly, notice this. This is the instinct of the early church. Before, before all the flash and before all the prestige and before all the resources come into the church, they, they know one thing internally. There's an internal instinct that when trouble arises, call on God. Isn't that amazing? I wonder if that is the internal instinct of the church in America today. Is, is that the internal instinct? Is that our first thought? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to be judgmental, but uh, you, you know, you got to judge a fruit by its a tree by its fruit. I mean, I'm, I'm watching some things that have happened in America over the last few years that are pretty pivotal moments, and I don't see a lot of prayer gatherings. I see a lot of, I, I see a lot of uprising. I see a lot of social media posts. I, I see a lot of bickering. I see a lot of frustration. I don't, I don't necessarily see a lot of people saying, you know what we have to do? We have to pray. I'm tired of this. Let's pray. How many times do you hear Christians say, I'm so tired of this? Let's pray. That's what the early church does. Like you get the scene, right? They're, they're not welcomed in Jerusalem. They're not wanted there. They, Herod is a madman. I did, I, I don't know, months, a few months ago, maybe a year ago, I was studying Herod. Like, talk about rated R. It's Herod was a madman, a maniacal maniac, right? And so he just ha he just kills he he kills um, James, the brother of John, and people like it. So he's like, I know what I'll do. Now I'll kill Peter, and he has Peter in prison. Peter is going to die, right? Peter is the leader of the church, and and so the, here the church is. And they don't, they don't have any influence with government. There's no due process. There's no innocent till proven guilty. They have no money. But what they do have is prayer. And God is on their side. The, the interpretation, one interpretation of the fifth verse, 
where it says this constant prayer is lifted up or offered for, for Peter. It says, it, one interpretation says, a steady stream of prayer kept going up to God for Peter. They knew that's what we do. Think of the frustration they must have had. I mean, he's completely, they've killed a man completely, who's completely innocent. They, they have another man in prison. They're going to kill him. He's entirely innocent. And their, their first instinct isn't to riot or appeal to government or appeal to Rome. It's to pray. And folks, I'm going to tell you that not only is it imperative for your personal success, it's imperative for the personal, personal success of this church. That this church, and this church is where it is today on the prayers of faithful men and women of God. Make no mistake that you understand that. That this church is today... It's, it's, it's built on a foundation of faithful men and women who have prayed for 46 years and who now continue to pray at this very moment. So in many ways, I love this. There's always been a steady stream of prayer that has come up out of this church. And if this church is going to continue and continue to stand as a testimony for Christ, regardless of what happens in the earth, then, then there must continue to be a steady stream of prayer. Verse 6 says, when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. You've got to understand this image really quick, that Herod has 16, the four squads is 16 soldiers. This is for one guy. One guy that's not even like, whatever, like he's not a military, like 16 soldiers. So Herod's going to make sure that he lives so that he can die. He's chained He's in the inner prison, and there are people watching guard. Verse 7 says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened, to the, opened on its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself... And he said, now I know for a certain that the Lord has sent an angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had con considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose sur surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Do you see this? I know many of you have heard this story, but I mean, consider what's going on. Because of the steady stream of prayer that's being lifted up on Peter's behalf, God sends an angel into the jail where he's being guarded by 16 soldiers, right? Where he's bound by chains. He's in the inner sanctum, so there's multiple levels of security. And the angel simply gives him a nudge, says, hey, Peter, get up. People have been praying for you. You're not going to die tomorrow. Get up. Put your sandals on. And he begins to, the chains break off, and he begins to walk out of the of the inner prison. This is real life stuff, folks. It sounds like a story to you. This is the word of God. This really happened. 
It's not a type. It's not a foreshadow. That literally happened 2,000 years ago. Because when people truly pray, God moves. That is our heritage. That is the reality of Scripture. That is the reality of who you and I are if we are followers of Jesus Christ. You see, when we choose to pray, chains can be broken. When you and I choose to pray, prison walls, barriers, like... Folks, this is, these are natural things, but think of it now in the spiritual context. Chains, things that bind us, things that bind your family members. Right now, whatever it is that's keeping a family member in chains, they're in bondage to something. They're, they're behind a prison wall. Well, know this, God still breaks chains and God still releases people from spiritual prisons. The, the Bible says clearly that through, when people begin to pray that a deliverance from heaven can come and a deliverance from heaven will come when you and I choose to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, this is what Jesus meant when he said ask. This is what he meant when he said seek. This is what he meant when he said knock. He said, I'll do these things once again. And these things serve as lessons and reminders and exhortation to you and I that when we call upon the name of the Lord, God will do the impossible. Folks, there's always going to be times when you find yourself with nothing else but God. I want you to understand that. I'm going to ask, yeah, George, if you'll come, he's going to play this morning. We're going to pray. I told you I wasn't playing this time. Quick sermon. I didn't come to teach you about prayer. I came to call you to prayer. I'll say that again. I didn't come to teach you about prayer. I came to call you to pray. I came to tell you today that if you're dealing with something physical, then you should pray. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're dealing with a marriage problem, here's the answer. Start praying. If you're dealing with a wayward son or a wayward daughter, pray. Seek the face of God. Call upon the name of the Lord. If you're in between two decisions and you don't know if I should go left or should I go right, then this morning you can call upon the name of the Lord. And God will hear your prayer. If you're in an impossible situation, you're a perfect candidate to see God move in a miraculous way. Think of Peter. Think of the story this morning. What, what an amazing I mean, if Peter's never in that situation, we don't have this story. And so, yeah, I get it. We'll always find ourselves where we have nothing else but God. I think God allows it. God allows sometimes every crutch that we're so used to leaning on to simply be removed. He allows us to fall into situations where there's no way out. Where, where the things that you once trusted in before are gone. And the only thing left to do is to look up to God and to call out to his name. And if that's where you are this morning, the call of this sermon is very simple. You need to pray. In Psalm 34, and the fourth verse, the Bible said, this is David's cry. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to tell you the backdrop, and then we're going to pray. David said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. This morning, if you're struggling with fear, call upon the name of the Lord. If you're dealing with anxiety, call upon the name of the Lord. If you struggle with depression, call upon the name of the Lord. David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him 
and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Verse 10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Somebody say amen. You want me to tell you? Let's stand. Let's stand all over the building. Let me tell you the backdrop of this story. David, as you know, has been anointed as the next king of Israel. But a man is standing in his way named Saul. Saul's turned his heart against God, and Saul's turned into a madman. And once again, here's an image of someone who is in Christ, someone who's in God, someone who is a vessel of God, if you will. And a madman is rising against them. Folks, that always, history always repeats itself. It always repeats itself. I think we're finding ourselves now at the very precipice, the very beginning of madmen who hate the church of Jesus Christ. They hate the fact that you are against abortion. They hate the fact that you are against sex trafficking. They hate the fact that you are pro-life, pro pro-vitality, pro pro-freedom. They hate it. They hate the idea that, that you believe what I'm preaching. That somehow you, a simpleton, you and me, a simpleton, no, no influence, no power, yet we stand here and declare, oh, but when we call upon the name of the Lord, heaven and earth can be moved on our, on our behalf. They hate it. And they will rise against the church once again. And it's already started. And it's only going to get worse. And so Saul is pursuing David and he wants him dead. And David is running and the stories are all in the book of 1 Samuel. And we read about it. And David finally comes to a place where he's just out of energy. He's just frustrated. He's out of strength. And he makes a very, very fatal decision. He makes a very unwise decision. He says, I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to go down. And I'm going to align with the Philistines. Now, Philistines are the, the natural enemy. They're the arch enemy of Israel, right? He's the Philistines, David, Goliath, you know. But he's so worn out and he's so frustrated and he's in such a, backed in such a corner that he decides, oh, it's the only thing I got left. I'm going to go to the Philistines. I'll just align with them. Maybe they'll protect me. And he goes, and, and I, the, the scripture doesn't say it exactly. You can read it, but. I think what happens is he gets there and he realizes, oh, crap, I've made a dumb decision. These are the Philistines. And, and the Philistines are like, what? You, you're coming to us? And so the king, the king, is, the king of the Philistines is, is kind of shocked. And, and <laughs> they don't know to kill him. They don't, they don't know what to do. And David, so David realizes in this precarious position and so the bible says david david starts to act like he's a madman he starts banging his head against the wall he starts foaming at the mouth the bible says spittle is running down his beard 
And finally, the king's like, what a, what a joke. Look at this guy. Makes fun of him. This, like, what threat is he? Get him out of here. And God delivers him again. And then he writes the 34th Psalm. This poor man. I tried to do it on my own. But then I realized this poor man cried. And the Lord heard my cry. I sought the Lord. And he delivered me from all of my fear. The ear of the Lord is attentive to the righteous. He just goes back to the simplicity of what he's known all his life. If I call upon the name of God, he'll show up on my behalf. This morning, I want you to bow your head just for a moment. We're going to go to prayer. But if you're in this room and you're away from God, if you're wayward, or if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ right now, first and foremost, the first, the foremost important prayer that you have to pray is a prayer of forgiveness, a prayer of, repent, of repentance, a prayer to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior. If you're in this room and you've never done that, I want you to raise your hand. And that's the first, that's where we're going to start this morning in our prayer meeting. Is there anyone in this room that says, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm, maybe I'm, you're just wayward. You've, you've asked God before to forgive you, but now you find yourself running from God. And this morning, through the worship and through the fellowship of believers, through the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, and you just want to give your heart back to God. You want to fully commit to Jesus. Raise your hand. We're going to pray with you. Anyone in the building, we want to get this taken care of. That's the most important thing right now that we can address before we pray any other prayer. Anyone in the building, raise your hand if that's you. Praise God. Okay. Now, you know what? We're set now, church. We are set now to let our appeals go to heaven. And so it is, listen to me, it's 1011. I'm never done until 1025. So I get to keep that time. And I'm going to yield it to prayer. So what I'm going to tell you, don't look for something. Don't rush out of this building. Don't leave. Find a place to pray. You pray at the altar. You can pray at your seat. We're just going to let George play. I know some of you are going through some stuff. Here's the appeal. Call upon the name of the Lord. Come on. Come on. Let's do it. Don't look anymore. No more sermon. Come on. Balcony. Altar. It's a wonderful place to call upon God. If, if, if your prayers begin to be loud, don't worry about it. Folks, if you hear people crying, if you hear people wailing out to God, so be it. Let's call upon them. Let's not play a game. Let's do it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you would like to learn more about The Bridge or if you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.